the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. You can research the human brain and da da da, right? Okay. It says that the hint, like, we are only capable of using 10% of our brain, right? Yes. So who was the guy that used 11 that made it okay to say everybody's just using 10? No, because if you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where this is 10%, we're all out of luck, 20% fill, 15% desperation, this podcast might be over the hill, 5% pleasure, 500 days of summer pain, and an 11% brain capacity usage to remember his game. The Michael Beasley Show, Alan. We've finally (laughs) made it. That add up to 100? (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm not good with mental math. (laughs) Hey, Alan. Y'all ready? (laughs) <laughs> That's my Fort Minor impression. Let's go! <laughs> what year was that in the playoffs where they used that song? Where they used it like every single For commercial TNT. Yeah, game. As, as, they, as they do every single year, there's always a song. That, that's got to be like 06? Is that like when it came out? I, I think that's a fair... Yes. Yeah. Six, seven, basically tail end of high school for yeah. us. Yeah. Y'all ready? Okay. Um, <laughs> Michael Beasley show, Alan. Let's go. Um, Alan, you don't know the dog days of summer till you've prepped and planned for a Lakers podcast episode entitled Back in Business. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We're not titling it that. I'm going to use something with 11%. And obviously, if you're listening to this, you already know the title, but. Yeah, not going to do back in business, but uh, Alan, you got to give the people what they want, right? So uh, how long have you been waiting and anticipating for this? 11 days and 11 minutes and 11 seconds. <laughs> Alan, Lord have mercy on the Isak Bonga specific episode that we have coming up. <laughs> Dude, I'm so ready. Man. In that episode, we're going to interview his 55-year-old former swimming instructor to <laughs> dissect why it seems like Bonga looks like he's running underwater on the court and whether that will translate <laughs> to a more fluid game. But uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. Tonight's episode, as you probably already know, 
uh, is going to be Michael Beasley centric and specific. And we've got a special guest on to give us more insight into all of what Michael Beasley is about, including his last year with the New York Knicks. We've got Jay from the New York Knicks podcast on and we'll get to my segment with him in just a bit. Um, yeah, Michael Beasley. Alan, I don't know if you remember. Well, of course, that this is the rhetorical question, but um, we used to watch the show called Heroes and I'm going to make a comparison. <laughs> so Michael Beasley, to me, reminds me of Isaac Mendez, just because oh. in Heroes, Isaac Mendez was this painter oh, who, perfect, <laughs> whenever he took drugs and got high, that's when his powers were amplified and he was able to predict and paint the future. Uh, so for Michael Beasley, I feel like it's the same. The more he gets lit, I think the smarter he seems, the better he plays, he gains more powers. And then he uses up more than 10% of the standard brain capacity humans use. And then he's able to paint up future basketball plays and he's able to see plays before they happen. So that's my random Michael Beasley, Isaac Mendez heroes parallel. Um, Yeah, what do you think about that? (laughs) It's perfect because every time we say Isaac Bonga and we say Isak instead, I think of Mr. Isak. If I were to impersonate Hiro Nakamura from Heroes. So <laughs> the fact that you compared Beasley to Mr. Isak is absolutely perfect. Well, there you go. I bet you guys. We got Heroes references. We got Bonga references. Dude, <laughs> we are on fire today. We are officially lit. <laughs> sure, let's call it that. But you know it's mid-August. You know it's late August when you've got Heroes references in your Lakers podcast, and you've got a Michael Beasley-centric podcast episode. Hey, but before we get into more talk, and we'll also get into some non-Michael Beasley talk for those of you who are wondering and don't want to hear an entire episode on just Beasley. Uh, Before we get to all that, though, as usual, please follow us on Twitter, at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes, because the more you rate and review us, that's how many times we'll see a Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, and Michael Beasley-led fast break run to absolute perfection. So, Shaq and the Fool Devil will have no power over that big three this season. He's Shaq and the Fool. <laughs> He's Shaq and the Fool. He's Shaq and the Fool. Michael Beasley uses 10% of his brain. Where is that from? Is that is that the voice for... That's what that's what Shaq and Kenny always do. Oh. <laughs> like, the, the song goes, and then Kenny goes, he's Shaq the Fool. And then Shaq will be like, what? And then Kenny's like, he's Shaq the Fool. And then Shaq's like, yeah. And, then, and then, then Kenny says, like, one little thing at the end. Anyway, I wish Tommy were here because he loves that, dude. I don't know why he loves it so much, but he's always goes, he's Shaq the Fool. So we'll make him do it next time. For sure. Yeah, but if you want to see that triumvirate all running down the court, obviously when they when you see them start running, you'll be on the edge of your seats at the start of that moment and you will feel like throwing up. But like any good roller coaster, you will hopefully end up thrilled and satisfied. So please rate and review us on iTunes. We've obviously been working hard this summer to keep Lakers fans mildly entertained during these August September doldrums where exciting NBA news is super hard to come by so if you've been even just 11% amused or engaged in our summer series of podcast episodes with all of these really cool insightful guests please do us a favor by sending us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or donating a buck or two to our Patreon page patreon.com slash the Lakers legacy podcast also we we're going to be holding a summer Q&A mailbag episode pretty soon. So if you have any discussions you want us to bring up on the episode, or if you have any questions that you want to ask before the season starts, add us on Twitter or email 
thelakerslegacypod at gmail. Or you can even write your question in your review on iTunes. Either way works. So, Alan, before we talk about Michael Beasley, obviously we haven't got into this yet, and we will dissect this more in future episodes, so we won't spend too much time on it right now. But the Lakers schedule came out, and uh, we've got all 82 games to look at, and we won't dig into you know the first month, second month, and all the home games, road games, but with regards to just uh, what stood out to you, was anything abnormal to you this year, especially with LeBron James and the fray? Yeah, what stood out to you? Um, I mean, beyond what everyone else has already kind of talked about, the fact, including us, opening on the road is kind of odd, and in Portland, not opening on the road in Houston or something like that, and then our home opener being a Saturday, granted it is against Houston, which is great, um, yeah, we already talked about how that stuff is kind of strange, um, but as far as, like, how the season is bookended, that stood out to me, the first 10 games are pretty rough, at Portland, Houston, then San Antonio, Phoenix, Denver, second night of a back-to-back. Thankfully, that's at home and not on the freaking road. Um, at San Antonio, at Minnesota, Dallas, there's a gimme right there, at Portland, and then Toronto. So, first 10 games are not particularly easy. Um, you got a couple gimmies in there with, like, Dallas Dallas, and Phoenix, um, but... You know, let's let's just hope that uh, we can be above 500, honestly, because it's going to take some time for this team to gel, as we all know. Um, I've seen some Laker fans on Twitter, which is great, saying, yeah, dude, we're easily going to go eight and two in that 10 game stretch. (laughs) And I mean, I would obviously love that. But if we were to go five and five, I'd be like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Right. If we were even four and six, I'd be like, well, that sucks, but I can see it. Um, And then the end of the season is tough, too. So. Obviously, the West is going to be tight. We've already talked about how many games separated uh, three through eight last year. Um, Just in the month of April, you've got at OKC, then you've got Golden State, then you have at the Clippers, which is nice. Then you got Utah, and then you got Portland. So those last five games of the season, if it's really coming down to the wire, those games are absolutely critical. Um so it's going to be exciting. That's for darn sure. You know, we don't have a bunch of gimmies at the end of the year. And uh, if our playoff livelihood or home court advantage and that kind of stuff is really up in the air, uh, those are going to be some really intense uh, days for all of uh, Laker Kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that stood out to me were just the sheer amount of Saturday night games, which we've had them yeah. before, but never to this extent. I think in the first month or so we have six Saturday night games and that goes up against college football right for the most part right and so that's interesting and maybe that's the LeBron effect in play because a lot of those games are also on ABC national television but those those ones are a little tricky because you know Saturday nights are usually reserved for at least for me the girlfriend and uh, so (laughs) I've got I've got a lot of explaining to do as to why we'll be spending Saturday nights in or either that or lots of DVRing for me this season at least as far (laughs) as Saturday night games go it's funny because the good news is we still have a buttload of Sunday games so now your entire weekend Saturday and Sunday you got some back-to-backs and everything that's true I guess we will have more Friday nights off in in that respect so this doesn't even include uh, the total amount but we've got 10 road Saturdays So that's just the road game. So yeah, Saturday night, Lakers basketball is going to be in full effect this upcoming season. 
but yeah, we'll we'll get into like more of our predictions on how tough we think this uh, schedule is going to be for the Lakers and how we project out some of these other teams in comparison to the rest of the Western Conference. We've pretty much got all of September to do that, so we won't dwell on this too long in this episode. But um, before we move on to the Michael Beasley talk and we get to my interview with Jay from the New York Knicks podcast, Alan, I, wa- I wanted to ask you about... So I think up until this point, we've all been kind of annoyed by the way that the media has been overlooking the Lakers and underrating them. And even in spite of the fact that LeBron James is now here playing this double standard card against the Lakers, where on the one end, they'll say uh, they're only going to win 41 to 45 games. They may even miss the playoffs. And then on the other end, they've got LeBron James winning the MVP, right? So there's clear contradiction there. And up until this point, we've just chalked it up to one fans being salty, the media being salty, and we've taken offense to it, you know. But I think the other way to look at this and something that I've thought about recently is actually all of the people who are saying LeBron James is waving the white flag. He's being realistic about his future. I can't believe he's going to he's willing to have a transitional year in between all of this when he's so used to going to the finals. You know, I, 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 I see all of that. And the positive spin and angle to this is the fact that I think LeBron James has a pretty good chance to win MVP this year. Definitely. I think the media is really letting LeBron off super easy and allowing him to run wild and free just because the expectations are so comically low now that I think obviously LeBron is cognizant of this fact. And for me, I feel like this allows him to one, play more freely, two, stay motivated against all the doubters, and then three, win MVP pretty easily if he only just marginally exceeds expectations. Can you imagine if the Lakers actually get the third seed and win above 50 games? It's a lock. It's a lock for MVP, right? Definitely. Because the narrative, right? MVP's all about narratives. Yep. So it is being set up perfectly for that to happen. Yeah, so what do you think about that dynamic of, I guess, taking something negative, which we've kind of been butthurt all summer about it, like, damn, man, just the disrespect, and then finding the positive in that and seeing, oh, my God, we have so much bulletin board material that it's not even funny. And we just got LeBron, and we've got the motivation somehow. You know, all these people saying that LeBron's checked out and he's not going to try on defense. Well, they're actually doing the Lakers and LeBron a huge service by giving them all of this material to work with. Right, right. Yeah, it's funny. Um, It has like the complete reverse effect where every other time in LeBron's career, um, whether it's starting his career with Cleveland, going to Miami, going back to Cleveland, whatever, expectations have always risen wherever he's gone to the point where it is finals or bust. And if he doesn't win the championship, then he's, you know, a crappy player basically that's kind of been the story of his entire career and now he comes to the lakers and it's like oh gosh their team is going to be complete garbage it's 180 like it's it's the most polarizing thing ever and the fact that our team ironically has these low expectations like you said is absolutely a silver lining blessing in disguise whatever you want to call it so i i think if yeah if i were on the team if I were Kyle Kuzma or Lonzo or Brandon, whatever, I'm thinking, well, screw all you guys. We're really going to show you. Not like we needed the extra motivation or anything, but I think subconsciously it's going to creep in no matter what. And um, 
it's just such a strange position, I think, for LeBron to be in that the haters are attacking him in this way. It's just so different. It's really weird. And uh, it's going to be really sweet. Mark my words. <laughs> Come springtime when the Lakers are in the damn playoffs and are possibly, you know, third or fourth seed. And people are going to think that we're freaking crazy for saying that. But whatever. Um, yeah, it's going to be pretty sweet to experience that. Yeah, it's, it's funny that these same people likely want to see the Lakers. Oh, Kevin Pelton. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, we'll get to him in a future episode. Chris Mannix. <laughs> oh, I know. So many people. But it, it's funny that these people who are licking their chops at seeing the Lakers fail are doing the exact opposite by setting the, by setting the expectations so low that it's almost defeating their purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> so... And for LeBron James, you're just you're just making life so much easier for him. When when you put LeBron James on the Lakers, that just automatically raises the expectations just naturally. But now that you have all these people saying, "Oh, he might not even make the playoffs," well, then you're relieving him of any pressure that he may have even had coming into it. You know, you you make fun yeah. of the Rondo Beasley signings, and I'm telling you, a reinvigorated LeBron James who has nothing to lose is a scary idea for me it's a scary thought to have and for sure i just can't wait to see what he's gonna do in terms of extracting the utmost value from these young guys this season as kyle kuzma has been saying you know he's usually the first in the gym and the last last out of the gym but these days lebron james has has beaten him to it at the lakers practice facility and Mm. i mean that is some amazing stuff to hear you know lebron obviously leading by example and you know continuing that Mamba mentality legacy that Kobe left of just being a relentless worker. And it's no surprise that Kyle Kuzma is closely following behind. So I'm very excited at at just that fact that the Lakers will have more than enough bulletin board material to work with this offseason, or sorry, this regular season coming up. And um, when's the last time he won MVP? Two years ago at this point? Yeah, I'm gonna guess 14. Okay, so so in 2018, James Harden won it. 2017, Russell Westbrook. 2016, Steph Curry. 2015, Steph Curry. 2014, Kevin Durant. So the last time LeBron James won MVP was 2013, and that's a good five years ago. Half a decade. Yeah, Steph Goodness Curry's gracious. gotten it twice. It's crazy, right? So if that's not added motivation to try and win this thing, I don't know what is. Oh, he's so- due. He is due. <laughs> He's on an MVP cold streak. <laughs> and like I said, he's in the perfect situation to prove yeah. doubters wrong and absolutely get it with this wackadoo team of misfit toys or whatever the heck people have been saying. See, and he, so. He's probably going to pass up MJ for uh, fourth place on the scoring leader list. This season. That's going to happen here this freaking season, you know. So no matter what, that just adds to, even though that that's a career milestone, that's not a this season type deal. But the fact that it is happening this season in L.A., that's going to creep into the voters' minds for sure. Like, this guy just passed MJ on the list. It's crazy. And yeah, so all these people saying that, you know, LeBron James hasn't tried on defense for years. He's concerned about preserving his body. You know, I think that part of it, making sure that he's in tip-top shape is is fair. But 
to say that this new context and this new situation will not reinvigorate him and he won't be reinventing himself in this new context is crazy. It's just naturally he's going to lock in in an entirely new way that we haven't seen before. Uh, we can't use prior context for this situation, you know? LeBron's on a brand new team for one of the most storied franchises in the world with a crop of really promising young guys that he's able to helm and in, in a way be able to take credit for their success in the future, whether you agree with that or not. Factoring all that in, the fact that he can pass... The fact that he can pass Michael Jordan this season, the fact that he can win MVP in his first season with the Lakers... Best believe he's thinking about all these things. And I'm telling you, media, NBA salty guys, stop letting him off the hook so easily. <laughs> like, at least say the playoffs. You know what I mean? It's like, it's too easy right now. Too easy. Just a random thought, and I don't know the math and all that crap. But so LeBron is definitely going to pass Kobe <laughs> while he's a Laker. That'd be crazy. <laughs> that is so crazy, dude. Oh my gosh. That's nuts. Yeah. He's going to win MVP that season, too. Book it. Probably. No, for sure. Hey, this is Brian from the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, here to talk about keeps. So there's just no two ways to say it. Losing hair is awful. Nobody wants to go through it. And two out of three guys are going to experience hair loss by the time they're 35. This is the world we live in, people. Now, I personally haven't started this you know, downturn, but I got a couple of people close to my life that go through it, and they always say, should have started it sooner rather than later. So anyways, these FDA-approved products used to cost so much, but now, thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes, now and starting just $10 per month, you'll never have to worry about hair loss again. So they've ironed out the process. Basically, you just take a photo of your hair and you shoot it over and a licensed physician will review the information and recommend the right treatment to you and then, boom, shipped right to your door every three months. So Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month. Uh, plus, now you can get your first month free uh, to, to what? To keep your hair. So come on, what are we talking about here? To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash almighty. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash almighty. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash almighty. Keeps hair today, hair tomorrow. Um. Well, with that said, from one MVP candidate to... Another, Michael Beasley, Allen. <laughs> so I, I really don't know how to transition and segue into MVP this. MVP of K-State? Dude, he was so good at Kansas he State. He was so man. good at Kansas State. So before we get to my interview with Jay from the New York Knicks podcast about Michael Beasley's last season with the Knicks, where he sort of had this revival. You know, Alan, Michael Beasley had that interview with Bleacher Report just talking about how he was recruited by Magic Johnson, what it means for him to be a Laker. And sprinkled in there is just a lot of really smart. I know we've been facetious up until this point about Michael Beasley and been ironic about every everything about <laughs> Which him. Which F boy are the Lakers going to sign next? Come on, make sure it's Beasley's. Like, oh god, I'm eating my words after reading this interview. <laughs> no, totally. Which is great. <laughs> we do it all in in fun, uh, especially during the summer. Um, nothing personal against Michael Beasley, but you know, looking more into him and, and listening to his interview and reading his interview. I mean, this guy just seems like a very well-studied, very smart and intelligent human being who does his homework. You know, he's throwing out Lonzo Ball stats. He's making comparisons to Malcolm Brogdon stats, Russell Westbrook stats, throwing out that tidbit about the Lakers having three of the top 10 assist leaders from last year on the same team. 
let's just say I, I was I was surprised by that by that entire interview. And um, yeah, what were your thoughts on that? And just his mentality coming into this season with him being so humbled by by Magic Johnson finding value in him. Yeah, um, the first word that came to mind just reading his first answer was thoughtful. He seems like an extremely thoughtful guy. Um, you know, I'm sure this interview is pretty much off the cuff. And most athletes, I feel like, wouldn't be very candid or revealing or, um, you know, would kind of answer lazily for the most part. Just give that uh, cookie cutter type thing just to get it over with. But again, you could tell that he put a lot of thought into his his words and there was a lot of intentionality within his answers. And that just reveals so much about his personality. So that was extremely impressive. Um, I feel like I learned a lot about him and how he views his NBA career up to this point. Obviously, how he views this Laker team and what his role is going to be. And, you know, you talked a lot about just now um, him being recruited by Magic and how that made him feel. And that's the exact quote that I pulled out. I'm just going to read it real quick for people who haven't read this. He said, you know, the way the Lakers are speaking to me on behalf of me and my game and things I can do for the Lakers, that part was overwhelming for me because I've really been at a down state in my career mentally and confidence wise. So to reassure me that I could play basketball the way Magic was talking, it was good to hear someone I looked up to talk about my game being wanted and being admired was uh, really overwhelming. So, you know, he was vulnerable in this interview. He's talking about from a mental state and everything, how things have just been down for a while. And, um, you know, him using the word overwhelming, like he, it's, it's corny, but like, it seems like he feels very loved, <laughs> you know, and accepted, um, by being a part of this organization now. So that's very exciting. And he talked about how it, he doesn't even care what his role is in the past. He was very focused on how many minutes he was going to get, mm-hmm. but now it's not even about that. It's just fitting in with this team and helping them to win. And then one last thing they asked, um, you know, how can you help some of these younger players develop? And he said, actually, the thing I'm going to do is just kind of get out of the way and let them learn for themselves because they need to discover who they are as players. So, again, that's a very thoughtful answer. Most guys will, oh, you know, I'll teach them how to, like, practice the right way, how to win, blah, blah, blah. Um, he took a pretty uh, a different approach to it, and it, it actually makes a lot of sense. No, yeah, I totally agree with you. And the other thing is, and he's been saying this the entire offseason, right, where he's been offended by the way that the media has portrayed Rondo, him, and Lance Stevenson and, and downplaying them and saying that they're just going to be toxic in the locker room. He's really taken offense to that. He's been on record as saying, I wish people would stop judging us or, or something to that effect, right? And he just sounds like someone who really has something to prove, whether that be on the court or even just in the way that he handles himself this season as a professional, right? Even if he doesn't get playing time. And I think that's exactly what you want to hear from from someone like him. It seems like he's matured and it sounds like he really he really wants to turn over a new leaf. For me, this can only bode well for the for the upcoming season. But yeah, overall, you know, Michael Beasley, I, I was just surprised by how smart and knowledgeable of the game he was. You know, you wouldn't get that from all the silly interviews that he does sometimes and you know, just the, the look in his eyes that he has, very McGrady like. Isaac Mendez look. Very Isaac Mendez look. <laughs> ankle watches yeah exactly but i i am very surprised by michael beasley very impressed and outside of uh michael beasley's a great interview that he had with bleacher report we we've talked about this a little before but i just wanted to highlight his actual potential on-court contributions for the lakers and how he'll fit onto the team this year coach mermies has actually brought this up in terms of 
Michael Beasley being one of the best isolation scorers in the league, even accounting for just last year. And actually, Michael Beasley cracked the top 10 in points out of isolation possessions with 2.6 points. And that number is ahead of elite all-stars like Victor Oladipo, Paul George, and Bradley Beal. Damn, I thought you were going to say James Harden. I'm not impressed. Never <laughs> no, mind. no, no, no. Not, not, not James Harden, but in isolation, points out of isolation, Michael Beasley was better than Paul George last That's year. That's crazy. So what an incredible feat and, and lends itself to him being called the walking bucket. Yeah. You know, that's his, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his nickname. And so obviously scoring has never been an issue with, with Michael Beasley. And in a pinch, he can provide that off the dribble on ball creation that if plays break down, the Lakers can just pitch it to him and he'll find a way to create a play out of nothing. And um, with regards to his three-point shooting, last year, Michael Beasley was not great in terms of corner looks. Um, He only shot 28% from three from the corner, but he only shot a very low sample size of that. But actually, if you look at his percentages from anywhere else but the corner. In his last two seasons with the Knicks and Bucks, Beasley has been in the 98th percentile among bigs in that area, making 47% of his non-corner looks. That's really interesting. Yeah, so if you're looking at something to circle in terms of can Michael Beasley be a competent shooter for the Lakers this season, that's the number to look at, that he's 47% on non-corner looks, and the only reason why that he maybe has such a low percentage from the corner is the fact that he has a low sample size. He doesn't shoot yeah, a lot of He them. took like 86 threes last season. There are 82 games in a season, so it's just a little more, it's basically one a game. And especially considering the fact, and you'll learn this in my upcoming interview with Jay, On the Knicks, he played an entirely different role. When Porzingis went down, obviously not to bury the lead and give, uh, you know, spoiler alerts, but when Porzingis went down, he was the go-to guy. He had the ball in his hands a lot. He he was playing with a high usage. But on the Lakers this year with LeBron James, Lonzo Ball, Rajon Rondo, all these guys who can create, that's not going to be his role. So he's probably just going to be forced into more spot-up situations, and he's going to have to take a lot more corner threes. And he said as much himself that... Hey, I just didn't take a lot of threes, but if I start taking more, I expect to make more. And that 47% on non-corner looks is um, a sign of promise that uh, hopefully can carry over to higher volume of shots. And even if that, even if he's not shooting 47%, let's say he, he shoots more, but he's only shooting 37% from three. I'll, I'll, I'll live with that for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's fine. We'll have Svi in the corner anyway. <laughs> you got two corners, right? So you can't have everybody in there. Totally. And outside of the isolation, obviously, um, something to take note of of Michael Beasley's game last year with the Knicks is that his efficiency increased a lot. And also this, that last year was the, I think he averaged the most assists he, he's had in his NBA career. So he definitely had some court vision there. And again, the theme of the Lakers team this year is versatility. And I think Michael Beasley has that, especially if you're only playing him for, for 10 minutes a game. So yeah, I mean, we've talked about a lot before and we talked a lot about it with Pete, actually, that he's just a guy that could get you a bucket in a myriad of ways. Right. And um, I think the fact that he said himself, he's willing to accept whatever role and being such a, from what we can tell, like a thoughtful guy, he means it sincerely. And um, like you said, if he is given more opportunities to shoot threes, which he obviously will in this offensive system, and given what his role is going to be, um, his production improves the more he plays from like an efficiency standpoint. So, um, yeah, I, I think it'll definitely be something to look for. 
Yep. So with that said, I'm going to turn it over now to my interview with Jay from the New York Knicks podcast. And he gives us a, a more realistic viewpoint of Michael Beasley um, in terms of it's not all sunshine and rainbows with Michael Beasley. It is a roller coaster ride. Um, but like I told him, the Michael Beasley, Rajon Rondo and Lance Stevenson show, you put them all out on the court together and uh, it could be explosive in a bad way, right? But Alan, some explosions turn into fireworks and fireworks can indeed be beautiful <laughs> we're, we're hoping for that this year <laughs> but it's also good for us to take the uh purple and gold shine off of michael beasley for for our own sake this year because realistically speaking this guy's getting 10 minutes and uh don't be surprised if one night he gets you 20 points on five for five five for five shooting maybe he does it on five for five shooting uh but he gets you 20 points on eight for eight shooting and then the next night he's one for seven so I'll turn it over now to my interview with Jay from the New York Knicks podcast on Michael Beasley. What do you feel like you can contribute to the Lakers? Playmaking. I know a lot of people say scoring. Uh, everybody can score the ball. You know, um, my, my focus this year is, is to make my teammates better um, on both sides of the floor, on, on and off the court. All right, so tonight we are pleased to have Jay from the New York Knicks podcast. They are a podcast that's also part of the Almighty Baller Network. And Jay, it's mid-August. Did you think you'd be talking about Michael Beasley in the dead heat of summer? I didn't think I'd be talking about Michael Beasley pretty much ever again. But here we are. Uh, here this we are. In the, in the dog days of summer. Exactly. There's nothing like talking about Michael Beasley in mid-August, right? It's How like are you? How excited am I? Uh, this is like the audio equivalent of drinking lemonade, but for my ears. <laughs> um, so, hey, Jay, before we get started, why don't you kind of give us uh, the New York Knicks podcast plug and, and give us your elevator pitch and plug any of your guys' socials and, and anything like that? Sure. Uh, well, we're called the New York Knicks podcast. We've been doing it since uh, right before the 2010-2011 season. It's pretty much me and one other guy, two lifelong Knicks fans. Uh, we want the show to be like you're watching a game or hanging out with us. Uh, we're not like too deep into the statistical stuff. We try and have fun and just uh, have a conversation. Uh, we are NY Knicks Podcast on Twitter. And we also, the same co-host uh, and I have a comedy podcast called The Brink of Sanity. You can find us on Twitter, Brink of Sanity 3. We've been doing that for almost 11 years now. Were you guys tempted to change it to Brink of Lynn Sanity when Lynn Sanity was happening? A little bit, a little bit. We started <laughs> putting Lynn into the names of the episodes and we would see the spike and we're like, oh, let's see how long we can keep this going and then injuries. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Oh uh, yeah, so everybody go check out Jay and Mark on the New York Knicks podcast. Uh, with that said, let's get right down into it. Michael Beasley. Let, let's first go back to uh, his last year with you guys. Um, obviously for the Lakers, we're not sure what role he's necessarily going to be playing for this LeBron James-led team. He was our 15th man signed to the roster. He's likely going to get minutes, but to what extent, we're still not sure. But for you guys, when Michael Beasley was first signed for that one-year deal with the Knicks, I guess, what was the fan reaction? Was it just par for the course for Knicks fans? I think there was some mixed feelings. Some people were excited. He has shown flashes throughout his career of being a very good player. He's also shown flashes of not as much so mm -hmm. we were all like well which which Beasley are we gonna get because uh, he averaged almost 20 points a game in Minnesota but then you know his Miami years weren't weren't so good so um yeah it was kind of it's kind of like uh 
a feeling out period on on both sides i think yeah it was uh even i think the start of the season people really didn't know what what to expect because he was a weird fit at the beginning of the season before Porzingis got injured. So his minutes were super inconsistent and he's a high usage. Basically he he's more effective when he plays a lot of minutes. He's not, it's not like if he plays half the amount of time, his stats will be in half, his stats will be like nothing. So mm-hmm. you need to play him like 25, 30 minutes a game. So from an organizational standpoint, why do you think the Knicks brought him in initially? I think they brought him in for for potential. There was not a lot of scoring power on the team. So I I think they wanted some instant scoring, which he can provide. And um, maybe uh, a little bit of a veteran presence, too. It's it's a young team, and um, he's been around the league a little bit. So I think think mainly it was for, for the instant offense, though. Got it. So with regards to Beasley eventually getting more consistent playing time and at the end, uh, pretty much starting for you guys, what context allowed for Beasley to enter the rotation in that respect? And was it as simple as Porzingis going down? I think that was it. The Knicks are really thin. I mean, we're starting Lance Thomas when Porzingis goes down. So there was plenty of minutes to go around. Before Porzingis went down, was he getting any minutes at all? Or was he just getting like spot minutes and garbage time type stuff? Or did he start showing a little bit of potential even before that event happened? He had a few flashes. It's kind of like he'll have five or six games in a row where you're like, why is he on this team? He's not doing good. And then he'll break out for like 30 points out of nowhere. Uh, there was a game in late November against Houston. 14 for 23, 30 points. You're like, oh my God, this guy's going to be amazing. And then very next game, he he gets seven points on three of seven. So it, it was a mixed bag, but it also his minutes were all over the place. He, gotcha. he had, a, he had a, a bunch of DNPs and then well, the next game he'd get 36 minutes. I mean, that makes a ton of sense for Michael Beasley. Diving into more of the specifics, in what areas did he particularly excel for you guys on the court when he did eventually get that consistent run and consistent playing time? Because there was that stretch by the by the time Porzingis went down in 30 starts where he averaged around 16 points, six rebounds, was shooting a ridiculous 51% from the field and 47% from three, albeit on a very low volume. Um, but his efficiency was there. And even taking into account the the season as a whole, in only 22 minutes, he averaged like 13 points, five rebounds. And so I guess for you guys, in what areas did he particularly excel outside of the obvious? Or was it really just, hey, he came in hot, he he did what he was supposed to do in terms of score, and he was somehow efficient about it? Yeah, when he gets hot, he puts up efficiency numbers that Melo couldn't get in his wettest of dreams. (laughs) He had had streaks in early January and mid-February, 8 for 14, 8 for 11. Melo never put up those kind of numbers. So it, w- it was nice seeing high scoring and efficiency. And he also rebounded really well. He, he had a mm-hmm. lot of double-digit rebounding games. That's the good part of it. And then there was also times where he would just check out. Uh, there was one game where he had 20 points at the half. And then he came out in the third quarter and he's kind of just walking back on defense he hasn't even crossed half court it's like inexplicable why he was doing that mm-hmm. he just kind of spaces out sometimes so it's it's definitely a mixed bag so i guess he's the type of player where if he's hot you, you ride that hot hands and 
then if he starts doing weird stuff, you, you yank him. And that's sort of the collection of guys that the the Lakers have assembled here. Lance Stevenson is the same way. You know, you're not sure what you're going to get from night night in, night out. A bit erratic. But I think something that Beasley at least showed in those 30 starts was a little bit of consistency. So for you, what do you think led to him? I don't think he's ever been necessarily this efficient in his time. But what did you see on the court that allowed him to be yeah, that allowed him to shoot a higher field goal percentage. And was it just him getting to his spots? And from from your end, what do you think allowed him to succeed at least for the Knicks during the latter half of the season? Well, I think he basically was the star of the team once Porzingis went down. So I think he got his confidence up. He got a steady amount of minutes. He um, He had a defined role. There wasn't many other guys taking shots from him. So I, I think it was just a perfect storm for him where everything everything was in place and there was really like if if you're as good of a player as you have shown in small flashes on other teams this is your chance to 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 make it happen to put it all together and, and sometimes he did right and i was looking at this stat that pretty much detailed out that Beasley cracked the top 10 in points out of isolation possessions with 2.6 points in in those possessions and did you feel that from him or was the Knicks season such a was it so shot by the time Porzingis went down that it kind of just felt like he was a looter in a riot well when Porzingis went down we were like all right we're, we're gonna clearly tank and go for the number one draft pick and for like 15 20 games afterwards the vets are still playing heavy minutes and the young guys weren't getting developed and we didn't really know what was going on. Well, the usual happened. The, the Knicks won just enough games to, to get a mediocre seven to 12 draft pick. And I, I guess the plus for Beasley is that he benefited greatly from that because he was one of the vets that was getting tons of minutes. The corner sex rotation and, and, and minutes management did not make sense a lot of the time. And that's probably a big reason why he's not around right now. Yeah, I think maybe you guys would liken Michael Beasley's uh, outburst towards the second half of the of the year to the Lakers had a similar sort of situation with Nick Young back in 2013-14, where it was he, Mike D'Antoni was his coach. Uh, we, we weren't really going anywhere, but he was our probably one of our best scorers and he averaged 18 points that year you know but it wasn't it was really all for naught because we weren't really going anywhere so I guess for you was there anything that surprised you about Michael Beasley from obviously the preconceived notions of when the the Knicks first signed him and then as the year went on did anything surprise you about him whether that meant his locker room persona what he brought to the table on court off court yeah did anything surprise you or did his reputation precede itself This is Mike from the Almighty Baller Network. It's nice to have a helping hand, especially when it's tax season, and that hand is attached to a licensed tax professional. With TurboTax Live, you can talk to real CPAs and EAs on demand who can review your return with you before you file and to make sure you get your maximum refund. They can even check your work line by line so you can be confident it's done right. Who knew confidence and peace of mind could be synonymous with taxes? TurboTax Live with CPAs and EAs on demand. See details at TurboTax.com. Let TurboTax Live be your helping hand. Visit TurboTax.com today. No, I think I was surprised a lot throughout the season. When he was good, I was like, oh my God, this is this guy's going to be an all-star. We should sign this guy to a four-year, five-year contract. This is awesome. And then then there was a game later, he's 
just walking up and down the court and spacing out. And so then I'm surprised again. I'm like, well, how is this guy who I was so excited about two nights ago? How is he so garbage right now? It's, it's such an emotional roller coaster. I feel like I was night to night. I was surprised with this guy. Gotcha. Now, how is he How is he as a teammate? Obviously, Porzingis was there as one of your young core. Tim Hardaway Jr. was there. Would you say he was a good influence at all on the young guys? Obviously, he has a checkered past, and he's never really been able to put everything together due to extracurricular activities outside of basketball. But in terms of how he was in the Knicks locker room, would you say he was at least a good influence for them? I would say he was more of a neutral it was it was kind of like his his locker room presence would kind of flow with how he was doing if he was on a hot streak he would be a great teammate and if he was in one of his weird modes he'd be yelling that he got pulled from a game or pouting on the bench or that's not the kind of stuff you want the young guys to see so even that was Basically, every aspect about him is a roller coaster ride. You, you better buckle up for this season. <laughs> oh no, I'm not. I'm not hearing what I want to hear here. Uh, no, but that's fair, and uh, it, it's good for us to know this in advance. I, I can't tell you how excited I am for a Rondo, Stevenson, Beasley, McGee lineup. It doesn't even matter who the fifth guy is. I am so excited. Oh, absolutely. It's it could be very explosive, but like I said on Twitter, some explosions create fireworks and that could be beautiful. We'll see. We'll see what kind of explosion we get. Um so I guess with regards to how he was used last year, he was I think he was played primarily at the 4. Was there ever a time where Hornacek played him at the 5 and do you think if the Lakers put him in that position that he could potentially play some small ball 5 in your eyes? Well, that's interesting. Uh, I don't think the Knicks, Knicks ever did that because they had about seven centers last season. Uh, I don't think he, he played at five at all, but he played a little bit at the three. He looked pretty good there. I could see him. Well, I guess if he played another team that's playing small ball, he could handle his own. I'm just, he's not going to be able to outmuscle like somebody like DeAndre Jordan or, you know, Marcus All or something. But, you know, maybe if you have a Dream and Green out there or something like that. Now, I kind of already know the answer to this but defensively how was he does he have anything on the defensive end and let's say he does show one play one or two plays here and there that he does have some defensive capability what allows that to happen he's he's very athletic so he can get you a few blocks a few steals it's i guess it's more where his head's at i don't want to set false expectations he's not good on defense he's pretty bad on defense i would say but i'm not sure if that's more his skill level or it's it's just where his head's at like maybe lebron like knocks some sense into him and he's like listen i'm gonna kill you if you don't play defense and he's like okay well you know time to get my head on straight you, you know maybe it's situational uh you know i'm thinking maybe last year he's like well we're not a playoff team there's no point in me busting my ass on both ends of the court. I'm going to score a lot of points and get a, get into a good situation for next season, get a, get a big contract. I mean, that makes sense. That's fair. So let's talk about his two big meaningful games for the Knicks that actually resulted in wins last year. Uh, there was one win against the Oklahoma City Thunder, and there was a win against the Boston Celtics. I think there was even some MVP chance uh, to be had for Michael Beasley in one, one or two of those games. So when you saw those games, uh, how impressive was he during those games? And I think he even hit some a couple clutch shots down the stretch of the Boston Celtics game. 
yeah, if you could take me back to, if you remember the Oklahoma City and Boston wins, um, how impressive Beasley was during that time. And I guess from what, what you're saying, it seems like everything happens in conjunction with him, right? So if, if he's hot, then he's locked in and maybe you even get some defense from him. So if you could take me back to those two, two games that actually in conjunction, he had the stats to back it up, but it also actually resulted in a meaningful win. Yeah, that, that Boston game, 32 points, 12 rebounds, 13 for 20 shooting. Um, it, that that was the first game. No, that was the second game. The Oklahoma City was the first game that season where I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad we signed this guy. He The Oklahoma City game, he was 11 for 18, 30 points. And this was in the within the same week. So we're obviously very, very excited by that. Um, we should also note that uh, the game after the Celtics game, he ended up playing 13 minutes, had six points on three for six shooting, and it was back mm-hmm. to uh, wh- where, what happened to this supernova guy who just led us uh, to, to some big wins. So, yeah, the, um, the Oklahoma City game was especially nice because that was uh, our first game against, um, uh, against Mello. And... I might not be the biggest Mello fan out there. So it was kind of nice seeing the guy who replaced Mello uh, show him up pretty well. Maybe that was part of his motivation. Maybe he said, I, I'm playing Mello's position right now. I, I am I am the new Mello, and I'm going to show him that I'm the new guy in town. Nobody really knows what's going through this guy's head. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, what about the Boston win? You said, you said that happened within the same week? Yeah, yeah, that was... Uh, games 23 and 25 of the season so yeah it was just a couple days separated uh five days apart uh there was a uh i think a charlotte game in the middle but um or a chicago game i don't i don't remember but um yeah it was it was a couple days apart uh, again against the team that knicks fans love to beat so he's showing up again to uh to some key games on the schedule and and really just just lighting it up he he he's he was basically like crossing half court with the ball and driving straight to the basket around all the other defenders getting layups and dunks and just looking super athletic and hyped up it was just a very very exciting week before uh before the knicks went on a four-game losing streak and brought us back to reality (laughs) So you guys had your doses of B's sanity this year, is what you're saying? Yes, yes. We were, for, for that one week, we were all in on B's. With regards to how he actually played offensively, this is, at least during his 30-game stretch of being a starter, he got a lot of turnovers, but I think he also averaged 2.3 assists. Did you see a little more versatility from Michael Beasley than you maybe expected? It sounded like his usage his usage was high. He had the ball a lot in his hands, Um can this guy pass it all in, in conjunction with his scoring? Yeah, absolutely. He, he can definitely pass. He probably would have had a few more assists if the Knicks had a few more shooters out there. Cause it, I specifically remember a few times where he threw some nice passes and the, his teammates just bricked it. Um, so he, he has court vision. He, he can pass the ball. And so, I mean, really you got, you got a guy who can rebound, pass and shoot. So it's just, if you get him in the right headspace, you get him in the right position, especially for you guys, because he's he's not going to be starting for you probably. He's he's going to be playing spot minutes off the bench. 
which was a problem with us when we played him less than 20 minutes a game. He was he wasn't very efficient, but maybe you guys can put him in the right spot where he can emulate those uh, per- starting performances in bench player minutes. I think like you guys, when Porzingis went down, the only situation or scenario I'd see Beasley getting those minutes once again, even above 20 minutes as if Kyle Kuzma got injured or something like that, you know, but I guess it's good to know that in a pinch, if you need somebody to provide that scoring, uh, scoring punch off the bench that Beasley does it in spades. Um, and he is obviously a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type player, but it's good to know that he can also play make and that he does have court vision because what the Lakers are trying to do with this roster is just stack a bunch of versatile guys who can do more than just one thing. Obviously, Beasley on a night in, night out ba- basis, you're not sure if he's going to be locked in defensively. I guess talk to me about his transition play. I'm not sure how fast the Knicks played as a team last year, if at all, but given that he's a good rebounder and that he does have court vision, were there times where he sort of did a pseudo Lamar Odom where he'd grab the ball and kind of dribble it down the court and either get a shot for himself or or get a shot for another teammate? Absolutely. Especially during that hot streak that you mentioned, he would go Mm -hmm. coast to coast. Uh, He would be the first one down the court. He he was was all over the place. He he shows signs of being freaky athletic. So you're going to be happy with that. His he was faster than most of his other teammates, so that probably held him back a little. But he was, uh, yeah, he he's he's fast, he's athletic, he can he can definitely move in the open court. So, with a bunch of other fast, athletic teammates, he he might look even better in those situations. That's exactly what Lakers fans want to hear because everything that we're pushing this year is pace, pace, go, go, go run out, get the rebound, doesn't matter, you know, just find the next guy or dribble it yourself. So if, if Beasley can provide that off the bench, uh, that, that'd that be great. I guess with, with, with regards to his offense, what, what about him specifically? Is it just his, his physical makeup that allows him to be... Obviously, I mean, this guy was a number two pick. He was a lottery pick for, for a reason. And I, I even read some Draft Express stuff earlier on uh, when he first came out that said, I mean, wrongly, obviously, at this point, but that said, there's no surer prospect. The, the last surer prospect in the draft was Tim Duncan, and Michael Beasley is the second. You know, so, I mean, this, this stuff is not coming out of nowhere. It's just, I think, Michael Beasley's talent and, and scoring prowess has never been in question, right? It's always been about the extracurricular stuff, uh, his headspace, whether or not he gave a damn on offense or on defense. So, for you... What what do you think allows him to, to get these shots so easily? Is he just this skilled of an offensive player? Uh, does he leverage his size to easily get buckets on guys? And I think you, you've been implying it this entire episode, but objectively, he was probably better than Carmelo Anthony this season, right? Um, yeah. I mean, they're, they're both really bad on defense, but he was <laughs> rebounding better than, than Melo. He was more efficient and... Even if he didn't pass at all, that would be like tied with Mello. So <laughs> it was, yeah, I mean, I would say if you're going to say, would you rather pay Mello 25 million or Beasley two, you take Beasley every day and twice on mm-hmm. Sunday. It was, it's, it was a no brainer. And I know some people are probably going to um, send me nasty emails for that, but it, that's the truth. Uh, you asked about his, uh, how he, how he scores. It's, He's 6'9", he's but he's super athletic, and he's just got a lot of talent. Why he doesn't always apply that talent uh, is beyond me, but 
yeah, he, he's just a really, really talented offensive player. He, he's one of those guys that you'll probably hear stories, uh, you know, playing, uh, you know, those secret like five on five games that the NBA players have. He's probably the type of guy who would go in there and destroy that. But then for some reason, check out in the middle of an actual NBA game. Yeah, I think something that surprised me about him was, and I guess just his entire demeanor is so chill and that sometimes can come off the wrong way on the court as well. I'd almost describe him as sneaky athletic because he has a lot of these one-handed jams that come out of nowhere that are so nonchalant. I don't know if you felt that as a fan, but he has such a, such an interesting bipolar kind of dynamic about him where where everything he does is so chill and relaxed and he's such a talented scorer and he has so much skill that it almost comes too easily to him. Does that make any sense to you or did you feel that at all? It kind of, I mean, obviously he's nowhere near as good, but it kind of reminds me of McGrady. They both got those like sleep mm-hmm. guys and, and they're so athletic that it looks like they're not putting that much effort in when they're driving around three players and, and dunking it. And uh, I, yeah, I guess it comes with, how athletic they are they just they make it look so easy it looks like they're not even putting in that much effort but then with these sometimes he's actually not putting in that much effort so (laughs) (laughs) right right with regards to his his shooting and his three-point shooting obviously had a a low number of attempts in in that sense but he did shoot uh 40 percent from three the entire year and then 47 percent when he started those 30 games i guess how was his shot how was his shooting in that respect? Because I think with the Lakers, he's going to want to up that volume. And is he is he a smooth shooter? I know he likes to operate in the mid range a lot, but can you talk to me about uh, his his three point shooting? And and is he the type of guy, sort of like Nick Young, who kind of needs to dribble the ball a little, or, or J.R. Smith before he launches a three pointer? Or do you think he can be a good spot up three point shooter? Well, in the Knicks, he was definitely a guy who liked to dribble it before he shot. He he is a good shooter, so I, I don't see any reason why he can't be a spot-up shooter. I, I guess it's it, it all comes down to, again, getting him in the right headspace and say, you know, get in the right spot, we'll get you the ball, and, and you can shoot it. Maybe maybe he's fine with that. Maybe he doesn't need to dribble it around a lot. Uh, you got a lot of interesting personalities on this team, so I'm really looking forward to see how they, how they mesh. Me too, me too. But I'm glad that we only have him for one year and he, Beasley for himself, kind of knows the stakes. He seems like a very smart guy, actually. And that's something I didn't expect. He's saying all the right things right now to, uh, he had, there was this Bleacher Report article that came out on Michael Beasley and he, him just talking about how grateful he was for the opportunity and how, as opposed to where he was, you know, a couple of years ago where he was, where it was all about getting minutes for him. He's more about helping the young, mentoring the young guys. I don't know how much of that you believe since you said last year he would be pouty when he didn't, when he'd get 30 minutes one game and then 13 minutes the next. I don't know if things have changed in that respect and him not getting offers this uh, off season has kind of mellowed him out. Yeah. Do you believe him in, in that sense? And do you think maybe he'll shape up and at this shape up because maybe at this point he, he knows that he's his next contract will probably be maybe all he can hope for is a long term, small veteran exception type contract where he is like the 10th man off the bench for a contending team. And that's the only way he can uh, find longevity in the league. So do you believe him just kind of falling into form with this young Lakers crew or do you expect him to uh to cause some commotion in the locker room if if he ends up not playing for 20 games I think you'll probably get well-behaved Beasley he he like you said he's a smart guy 
He's 29. He'll be close to 30 when the season starts. He's he's playing for $3.5 million right now. He's never really had that huge contract. And I think he knows that players over 30 uh, don't usually don't all of a sudden start getting huge money. So this might be his last chance at putting it all together, showing he's really worth a big long-term contract, or else he's going to be playing these one-year slightly above minimum contracts for the rest of his career. And that's, I mean, for me, that would be great. But for an NBA player, that's probably stressful, only making two to $3 million a year. Right. Um, now to close the show out, were there any quotables from Beasley this year, any memorable moments, whether that was on the court or, you know, in the locker room? Um, how was he as a personality for you guys? I mean, he gave great post-game interviews. He's, he seems like a really nice guy. And it, like he's saying the right things right now for you guys. He was, he was doing that for us too. It's, it's hard to get super mad at him. So even when he was having his bad streaks, I'm like, yeah, but he's such a nice guy. I kind of don't want to get mad at him. And so, so I, there's nothing like that specifically sticks out, but he, he is definitely a likable guy. That being said, you're definitely going to hey. yell at TV when he starts pacing around and looking at the crowd on defense a few times. We are definitely keeping that in mind and we're prepared for the roller coaster ride that is Michael Beasley, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde that is Michael Beasley. I still don't know which one's the bad one in that analogy, by the way. Is Dr. Jekyll the bad one or is it Mr. Hyde? Uh, Mr. Hyde is the bad one. Oh, nice. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I'm learning more than I expected tonight. Uh, but yeah, Jay, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was good to uh, get your real honest take on Michael Beasley, both the good and the bad. I think it's what Lakers fans um, expect. And uh, hopefully, if everything shakes out right, this guy's getting 10 minutes playing a role and you know, maybe he could end up having a long-term future on a contending team as a scoring punch type guy off the bench that's only averaging around 10 minutes per game. And maybe even in those short bursts, maybe that allows him to lock in more in that small time. But we can be, we can only be hopeful as, as Lakers fans. But uh, I'm sort of glad that you didn't pander and, and gave us the full picture. So thank you for doing that tonight. Uh, with that said, if you want to close us out with uh, just plugging your guys' stuff and anything you guys have upcoming for the, the next season, uh, go ahead and do so. Sure. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on too. So yeah, again, we're the New York Knicks podcast and my Knicks podcast on Twitter. Uh, we're gearing up for a season with very low expectations, but with uh, a nice young fun roster. So uh, we're going to, we got a bunch of guests planned and uh, we're going to have as much fun with the season as, as we can. And hopefully before we die, we will have a season where we're actually a contender. And uh, our comedy show, The Brink of Sanity, we just put up a new episode uh, about an hour ago. So you can check that out, too. Awesome. And don't worry, Kyrie Irving and Jimmy Butler are coming next year. <laughs> yeah, I see. That's a whole nother. I don't know how excited I am about that. <laughs> you sound like a worn out Knicks fan for sure. <laughs> it's true to form and very on brand. Like back-to-back seasons without getting injured i'd be a lot more excited well we wish you guys the best of luck and uh yeah hoping porzingis stays healthy and mitchell robinson and uh what's his name knox knox don't look too bad either i am actually very excited for kevin Knox. yeah it's gonna be it it should be fun and uh hopefully you guys will make that turnaround that we did probably not as quickly as we did but here's to hoping not unless you want to give us lebron
<laughs> That's okay. We'll keep him. All right, Jay, thank you so much for hopping on and we'll catch you next time. All right. Thank you. See ya. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, there's no more Yeah, even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states.